Well, as said earlier, we're beginning a new series on prayer each January, and right from the get-go, I want to say I'm excited about it. And there will, at the end of the series, I pray as we give attention to God's Word and we learn how Jesus taught us to pray, that you will find that you are more bold in your prayer life, it is much more frequent with you, you're even continuously praying, and that without guilt, but with joy. And that you come to realize both the Christian's privilege and their power in prayer as it becomes a moment-by-moment communion with God. The Lord's Prayer is called the Disciples' Prayer. It's not called the family prayer. It's not called the, the church leader's prayer. It was for the disciples that had a relationship with Jesus. And as a disciple, as a disciple's prayer, it's a relational prayer. It's not a church, institutional, formal prayer, but it's a prayer that Jesus would teach his followers, his intimates, As he related to God, he says, this is how you can have a conversation and communion with God in relationship with him. But there are a couple of problems. We tend to stop doing those things that we don't do very well. And we have, over time, we have made attempts or even fresh resolutions to be much more prayerful. A Christian is to to pray. I know that it's my duty to pray. And so I attempt to pray, and then I pray so badly that I stop. And I begin to think of myself as either a very immature Christian or someone that's just not very spiritual. I'm not, I'm not very strong. I'm not very good. I can't pray. We need to look at prayer in the same way that we look at the gospel. That God has put his love upon us in such a way that he has accepted us now in the person of Christ and not in our own goodness. He accepts us as we are, where we are in Christ. That's the gospel. And he does in prayer too. He accepts us wherever we meet him, however we meet him, however badly, how we stutter, our mind wanders. We begin to have other thoughts that invade us. It's too short, it's too long, it's rambling, it's abstract. He meets us in that place. And the gospel of prayer is that he receives it, even as he receives us in Christ. The two things that I want you to know and see this morning are, number one, I want you to see the secret seeing Father behind all of your prayers. That there. In the haze or the fog is not a God of judgment high and lifted on a throne who's saying, ah, that's unacceptable. That, your theology, your Bible knowledge is incorrect there. I rule that prayer out. Or I know what you've been doing, so don't come again to me to talk until you get that straight. That I want you to see that the one that hears your prayer is not a judge, 
He's not someone that, yes, he is holy, that he only listens to the holy. But I want you to see there, I want the fog to lift, and I want you to see, I want you to see the one that you're praying to and see him as a father. And then number two this morning, I want you to speak to him. I want you to do it. I, 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 I have loved preparing and studying what God teaches about prayer. It has given me such encouragement to my own conversations with God. But I, I know that as a preacher teacher, my bent is to teach you, is to teach you about prayer. And then for us to not pray. Our servers to actively pray. I want prayer to not be a noun, but to be a verb at two rivers. I'd like for us to, to begin to see people emerge who will pray at the drop of a hat. And I know we don't wear hats culturally anymore, maybe ball caps. But um, that we would, just like taking your hat off when you enter a room, that, that we would be people who are quicker to pray on every occasion or other occasions. We take occasions to speak, and as we speak, we're seeing a Father. So see the Father this morning and speak to the Father. I want you to see and speak to the Father as a child this morning. Okay, you ready? Let's dig into the Scriptures. First of all, I want you to see the secret seeing Father. In verses 1 through 4, what Jesus is doing here is he's, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And he has for 30 years of life, he has been growing up in Joseph the Carpenter's home. He's been walking the dusty streets. He's been worshiping in the temple. He's been observing the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and the scribes in their worship. He's been watching them and then their entourage, their disciples that would follow them. And now on the Sermon on the Mount, he's revolutionary in that he says two things. He says, number one, those who follow me, those who will see me as the teacher from God, those that would be a part of me and in relation to God as my disciples, it's going to look very different from the established religious practices and order. And number two, he says, God is a father more than holy judge, more than creator. He's an intimate father. And he's a father to both Jesus and to us. He highlights a practice that was going on then with the Jewish leaders. There were three, three pillars of religious practice, three practices that every Jew, not just the priests, the Sadducees, but that every Jew had three pillars of religious practice that they based their spirituality upon. Number one, the giving of alms. And we see that here. He says in verse two, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Now, we don't know that there was an actual large trumpet, but there was something to get the attention of people whenever these 
would give out their alms. In other words, they wouldn't simply come upon somebody in need, a leper, a beggar, a widow, and seeing the need, assess it and be sacrificial in giving their alms. No, they would have a time, a set time, and they would say, blow your little bugle. And then the people would hear the bugle and they'd be like, oh, alms are being given. And so they would, they would go over and there would be a great, following that fanfare, a great show of giving out the alms. And Jesus says, God sees that, but he doesn't plan to reward it. He doesn't hold it in account for a future reward. The affirmation, the acceptance, the the applause, the gratitude that they receive from other people is their reward. The other thing was the fasting. The third pillar of their spirituality was fasting. And we're going to talk about that in about three weeks from now. And we're going to have a day set aside that as a congregation, we fast and we pray. The number three thing, and it was the most important of the three, was prayer. In verse 5, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites is famously known as the Greek word for actors. And an actor is someone that would come on stage, they would portray something that they are not in real life, and as they would come out and portray something that they're not in real life, they would perform for the applause of men and perhaps for some financial compensation, And then they would leave the stage and there would be something that they really were in real life. And Jesus is saying, be on guard that when you pray, you're not a phony. Be on guard that the real you meets with the real God. And the real God is a father. And as a father, he wants to meet with the real you who is a child, a little child. A dependent child. Can I get you to see this father? Don't fear him. Don't be afraid of him. Yes, our God is high and lifted up. But through Jesus Christ, he's become our father. Jesus Christ, Martin Luther said this. In giving us these words... Our Father, God, binds Himself to us. It's not simply God binding us to Himself, but He's binding Himself to us. Um, I don't know if you've got family member or friends who have ever adopted a child. But having friends who have adopted a child, I have seen them go at great lengths, and it's quite time-consuming and expensive. Um, But I've seen them go to great lengths to adopt a child from China. And 
I asked a friend one time, I asked him, I said, um, this child is going to be so blessed in your home. You must be just filled with anticipation of how you're going to take them out of this orphanage and all the horrendous conditions that they're in there, and you're just going to bless them so in your home. And they said, we think about that, but that's not where the energy comes from. The energy to go through all of these hoops and, and, and getting close only to have it pulled away, all that energy comes because of the blessing that the child will be to us. It's not that we're driven that we might delight the child, but we're driven because of the delight that that child will be to us. How do you see your father? Now, I know that there are a number of you that have not had good relationships with your earthly father. Matthew 6, that we're looking at during the month of January, we're going to stay confined, we're just going to park in Matthew 6 with the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 is my testimony. I can't can't pull aside this morning to share my fuller testimony with you, but I was at the Citadel, and when I was a knob, you had a, a sack. You were forbidden to talk uh, the day of orientation, and you'd go to the, the supply depot, and you got this sack, and they put your shirts in it, your T-shirts, and they put, your, you, they put you in oversized, too tight at the waist, uh, gym trunks, and everything looked uniform. And as they're putting stuff in the sack, one of the things they put there was a good news for modern man paperback, New Testament only, and it's got stick figures in it. I'm like, I won't need that. And the reason was is because I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, at that time, I used to go, at the redneck that I was, I used to cruise, I used to go to Cruise, Maine with my brother and a running mate on Friday and Saturday nights. And on Friday and Saturday nights, cruising Main Street, Greenville at that time, as you could do, standing on the street corner, there was a local Christian college, a fundamentalist Christian college, that sent street students as street evangelists to stand on the street corners because that's where the intersections where the lights are. And they used to, they used to thump the Bible. A thumping a Bible means you take a leather Bible and you take your knuckle. I can't do it. But they could thump it, and it would that hollow, and it would go boom. And they would thump the Bible at you to get your attention. And they'd say something like, you're driving that car straight to hell, as I had the cigarette hanging off my lip and a can of beer in my hand. And I thought, that's what all Christians are like. They're loud, they're obnoxious, and if I get converted, I've heard about this strange thing called the Holy Spirit, and I believe that He just steals your mind and he makes you like them, standing on street corners thumping a Bible. So when they put that Bible in my divvy sack, I wanted nothing to do with it because God was not a father that I longed to be in relationship with. God was going to get me, I knew. And I wanted to live as hard and as fast as I could. And then I thought I'd repent with my dying breath and I'd go to heaven. Well, my world got turned upside down while I was at the Citadel. I had a terrible relationship with my dad. I went to a a man who was in my barracks, and I said, you're a Christian, tell me, don't convert me, 
but tell me what Christianity is. And he said, well, no. And I said, what? I thought all you Christians were eager to convert people. He says, nope. Go read about it in the Bible that they issued you back when you were a knob. And so I went back to my room, and I said, okay, that's fair. I dug around. I found this good news for modern man. I started reading at the beginning, the introduction, the preface, never having read the Bible before. Matthew's the first gospel in the New Testament. I read Matthew 1, the birth of Christ, Matthew 2, Matthew 3. I come into Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and I come to Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer. And there was a little stick figure on that page kneeling beside a cot, and it said as a caption, My Father in Heaven. And I said, what would that be like if God really were God? I knew that there was something there in the fog. But what would that be like if I saw him as a father? What would that be like? That means it's screwed up and it's messed up. And the big, big debt that I had accumulated for his wrath, that means he would at least hear me out. He would at least listen. I prayed Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. That's what we call the sinner's prayer. It was that night when I knelt. I didn't know how to pray. I'd never prayed other than those, let me just pass this test, let me pass this test, let me pass this test. Or don't let, don't let that blue light detect that I've been drinking. You know, It was those emergency prayers, but this was the first time that I prayed, and I really wanted to connect, and I did. It changed everything for me. But notice that the shift didn't come by learning how to talk right. The shift took place first with my eyesight. To begin, the Lord teaches us to pray. He doesn't teach us right off the get, out of the get-go to confess our sins. The very first request is our Father. The very first movement in prayer is to see even before we speak. So that before I speak to Him, I see He in who I am speaking to. My glasses. I can, if you've never worn glasses, it's... You, you don't ever want to take time uh, when you wear glasses to look at your glasses because if you just look at your glasses, you're cross-eyed. It's like, uh, okay, I'm looking at my glasses. I can't make any forward progress just looking at my glasses. But if my glasses represent prayer, we're not to focus on our glasses. We're to look through our glasses to see God. This makes sense to you? Think about the windshield of your car. You can focus on the windshield of your car or you can look through it as to where you're going and what's ahead. God, Jesus Christ comes and he says, when you pray, pray our Father. See Him and then seeing Him, that prayer becomes immediate, a medium to speak to Him. But you can't speak to Him unless you first see Him as a Father. 
or else you'll be like the hypocrites. Because you'll be talking to someone who is not the real God. The real you, the child, will not be speaking to the real God. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, tells us the basis for all prayer. The foundation for prayer is our adoption. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the process. Jesus Christ was born of a woman like we are born of a woman, except His daddy was God. The incarnation. God in the flesh. God come down to be with us. At creation... At the point of creation, Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God. Perfect moment-by-moment communion with God. It was perfect. But then, after the temptation, after the fall, our prayer life was fallen. Our moment-by-moment communion with God became more and more distant. And there were a number of reasons. One is we learned to be self-sufficient. And we really aren't, but we think we are. We began to look at life moment by moment and say, I can handle, I can handle this. And it was only on those points when life became completely unmanageable that we would pray, or just in those stretches of road where it was unmanageable, and then we stopped praying. Okay. I'm tempted to have you raise your hand, but I won't do this. But how many of you pray better when there's a problem than you do in the good times? How many of you pray better when there's a financial crisis, a health issue, a job situation, a relational breakdown? How many of you pray more in a crisis than you do in the calm? We all do. But that's an indicator light on the dash saying, look, Number one, you think that God is only there reserved for the big issues of life that you can't handle. And that's because you think, in a false pride, that you're self-sufficient and that you're able to handle life. America is a tough place to pray. As Americans in a Western culture, we've got three things against speaking to God in prayer. Number one, we're a capitalist society. That means we're very productive. We are workers. We're busy bees. And so when we take time, as we're encouraging you at Two Rivers, as Christians, I'm encouraging you to budget time every day to pray. You get up early in the morning, tomorrow morning you say, I'm going to take that admonition to heart. That, that we Become a people and a community who pray daily. So you bow your head. And your mind starts to wander. You start it right. Our Father, I'm I'm trying to see you as my Father. And I'm coming to you as as my child. And oh, you know what? I need to to remember to do this today. I better, I'm going to make a note to myself. Oh, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Capture my thoughts. I got to come back here. Okay, try to regather my thoughts and everything. We'll try again. That mind starts to wander. 
Or, oh my goodness, we start to pray and lust invades us. Or a critical spirit. You start to pray and all of a sudden that person comes into your mind and you can't get your mind off of them. Or you start to pray and then you're like, oh, I'm, making, I'm just making hash of this. And this is a waste of time. We don't, we don't see it as very productive. Number two, we're an entertainment culture so that we have all of these things going on and prayer is very solitary. Jesus says here in verse 6 that when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. He's saying, unlike the actors on stage making a great show of prayer, and it's not to say that we can't have public prayer, but he's saying, unlike those that make a great show of prayer, he's saying, be very quiet. Go to a quiet place. Assume a quiet posture. A secret place. Nobody knows that you're praying but you. And that is very, very much against a culture that always has music or noise or busyness around us. Then number three is money. I have noticed that in a capitalist society, we'll look to money more often than we do prayer. I, uh, <laughs> uh, when I first went into the ministry, uh, I was privileged to serve two congregations in the Appalachian Mountains. And they didn't have a lot of money. And those folks prayed. I mean, they didn't have health insurance. And so if they wound up in the hospital, I mean, people were praying. They were praying for healing and then financial assistance to pay the bills. I used to joke and say, I didn't have that many couples that faced divorce in the Appalachian Mountains because they couldn't afford to get divorced. But I've noticed that as we become more and more and more financially secure, I don't pray about a lot of things. I just stroke a check. Which is it with you? What I could put a whiteboard up here. There are a number of other things, and we'll explore these more and more. But what keeps me from speaking to the Father? What keeps me? Galatians 4 says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 120, says this in answer is to, why do we pray? Why should a Christian pray? At the very beginning of our prayer, Christ wants to kindle in us what is basic to our prayer. The childlike awe. Hang on to that. And trust that God through Christ has become our Father. Our fathers do not refuse us the things of this life. God, our Father, will even less refuse to give us what we ask in faith. Some of us have stopped praying because we believe that when we ask, God is not going to deliver. And I think I know what's behind that. We don't trust God. Have you ever 
betrayed someone. Maybe you betrayed them by gossip, rumor, innuendo. Maybe you stabbed them in the back. Maybe you took credit for something that really should have gone to them. Maybe you actually stole from them. Have you ever betrayed someone? Most of us have in a big or a small way. While all of us have betrayed God. God made us and He put His love upon us and we have betrayed Him by giving our love time and time again to other things. We've betrayed Him. And yet the Gospel says He has forgiven our betrayal. But there's this cloud of doubt that has moved in to say, I don't, I don't believe that He really has. I mean, He can't. I mean, I betrayed Him big and to His face. And I still betray His love. But the Gospel says, scandalous grace that it is, you're completely forgiven in your past, your present, and the future. You're completely forgiven. But there's this lingering doubt that He's really forgiven me, and therefore, I can't expect Him to even less refuse to give us what we ask for in faith. But Jesus said in Luke 11, He said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's saying, ask. Speak to Him. Don't be reluctant. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Begin by seeing Him as a father. Seeing yourself as a child. Jesus has made that possible now by your adoption. The father delights, delights in the adopted child. Now speak as an adopted child without fearing, not fearing in any way his reluctance to both hear, to care, and to answer us. Now let me give you a, a couple of practical things as we began to conclude here. Number one. See Him as the Father and realize that when you see Him as the Father, it's going to settle a lot of things with you. It's going to settle, for instance, it's going to settle pain. The problem with pain is, is that it comes into our life. Suffering comes into our life. Every one of us is just one cell phone call away from answering and suffering has entered into our world again. But now we can see that I'm not alone. I don't have to do life on my own. I don't have to face moment by moment and then a struggle comes in alone. I have a father. There's still suffering and there's pain. But like Charles Spurgeon, with growing maturity, I can say I have learned to kiss the wave that pushes me aground to Jesus Christ. Or put in another way, 
if God's hand brings suffering into my life, it's but to bring me more intimate with Him, more dependent like a child upon Him, because I can't manage it in my own self-sufficiency. He's just drawing me closer to Himself. And it's His hand. It's not the fickle finger of fate. Number two, so you're coming to a father, come as a child. And that means coming as a messy, coming as a messy. Come as the mess that you are. If you sit down to pray and that mind begins to wander, go wherever your mind is wandering and pray about it. Lord, my mind is wandering over here. In all likelihood, your mind is going to wander to something that is making you anxious or worried. And what God is doing is you approach Him and that mind is wandering. See, prayer is a conversation. God is saying, we need to talk about this. Not just a formula prayer. Not just an institutional prayer. Not just a a prayer guide or a, a written prayer, which have a place, and we'll talk about that in another sermon. But He's saying, if your mind wanders, let's talk about that. Yesterday, uh, my habit is, on Saturday morning, after breakfast, I go into my study, shut the the doors. Uh, We just about always have uh, an overnight with Emerson on Friday, so she's with us on Saturdays. And she's not supposed to disturb pop-pop upon pain of death. I mean, I tell her all the time, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to hurt you, get out of here. I'm working on a sermon. But she keeps coming in. And so, she'll ultimately, she'll say, how many more minutes? And I'll normally say, like, 60, and get all the way down to one. Yesterday, she came in, she said, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I got something important to tell you, I got something important to tell you. And I'm like, I'm I mean, I'm working here. I'm doing business with God. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm a servant in labor for the Lord, and I got a five and a half year old granddaughter interrupting me with something that's really important to her. So, what do you think I did? Come on up here, tell me what it is. Gets in my lap, and she's going. They don't wiggle. These two teeth, they don't wiggle. I just brushed my teeth, and they don't wiggle. Her two teeth had come out, and a new one are growing in. And she was thinking, oh, they're going to grow in. They're going to, they kept wiggling because it's so loose. Now they're strong. And she wanted to they're strong. And that was it. And she went, she's a mess, and we're a mess. I could have judged that to be very, very unimportant, but it was important to her. Are you, is it beginning to dawn on you that if you see him as a father, you can speak to him as a father? And what's important to you is very important to him. What troubles you troubles him. Where your mind wanders, he wants to go with you. What worries you? It worries him only in the sense that he wants to talk about it. Go to him. See him. Um, Lastly, Jesus had said that when we pray, in Galatians, that led by the Spirit, we can pray, Abba, Father. And here in Matthew 6, every one of the, the, the term, every time the term capital F, Father, shows up, you can underline that. It means Abba. 
It means daddy, papa. It's a term of affection for God that the Pharisees and the religious elite would not dare to wrap their hands around. You know why? Because they would not presume to be so intimate with God. The Jews who prayed in the synagogue, the Jews who made a great fanfare of prayer, there were three times a day that you prayed. There was nine in the morning, there was 12 o'clock noon, and there was three o'clock our time in the afternoon. And to show the people that they were devout so that they could reap that reward of you are so devout, you're so spiritually mature, they would come out at nine, they would raise their hands, and they would pray to God in the heavens. They would do it again at 12, they would do it again at 3. But what's more, the people knew that they were so, they were so institutional, that they had this system devised that you must have an hour before you pray to prepare yourself. And then an hour after you pray to just meditate on what you prayed. It was in that hour that they prepared to pray that they lost a lot of people. Because what they were doing is saying, only God only hears the pure. He only hears the holy. Well, we now through Christ can agree with that. But it's not hearing us because of our holiness or our purity in ourselves, but because of His. Jesus came and He says, the way to pray is to see the Father and speak to the Father as you are intimate sons and daughters as I am intimate. Grasp His eternal daddiness, as it were. And for that, they killed Him. They were taken back that Jesus would claim that God was not only His Father, but could be yours. That the way was now prepared that we could pray and He would hear. I want to encourage you each week with just one format or or way to pray. This morning, I want to encourage you to pray the, the one-sentence prayer of Jesus as found in Galatians 4. It's also found in Romans, but it's found in Galatians 4 when he says, when you pray by the Spirit, pray Abba, Father. It's really not even a full sentence. It's just two words, Abba, Father. But you can do that. Here's where I employ this type of prayer the most. I am, I'm going to confess three sins to you. I am in a meeting, whether it's with an individual or a group, I'm an interrupter. I just confess to sin. I'm not, I'm not proud of this. But I'm pretty dialed in to my defaults and my sin. Number two, I'm an advisor. I will tell you what to do. <laughs> uh, I sell stuff. Number three, I'm a boaster. I'm a boaster. So in a meeting with me, when my sinful side comes out, I'll interrupt you. I'll try to reposition you. I'll try to sell you on the way I want you to do it. And then I'll boast that my way is the right way. When I see that, when I get into a meeting, knowing this about myself, whether it's with an individual or with a group, I start saying, Abba, Father. 
Abba, Father. Abba, Father, I'm a mess. I'm a child. Abba, Father. I'm just saying, Father, you know me. You know me. You know me through and through. I don't want to go there. One sentence. Prayers. Let me tell you, when Jesus also said, Our Father, it wasn't, He wasn't just saying, Jesus has God as our Father, and you individually have God as your Father, but everybody in community at Two Rivers has God as their Father if they're a Christian. So when I meet you in your mess, in your sin pattern, when I'm apt to say, that's so-and-so, and I become critical, or I'm tempted to gossip, I pray for you, Abba Father, our Father, our Father, our Father. For me, I say, my Father. For you, our Father. What a mess they are, but they're your mess. And through God, you're my brother and sister in Christ. And so we pray not simply for self, but we also pray for one another in community. See him this morning, I pray, as your father. And it will begin to encourage your heart to go again and speak with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this kind of praying could get us killed. It certainly killed your son to be able to speak so intimately to you and to boast that you were his father. This could kill my old life. It could kill the way that I've been reliant upon me to answer my prayers. If I become more childlike and I approach you in my mess, my dependence, my weakness, but I see you as a father who will not refuse to hear or to answer for my good and your glory. We ask your encouragement, Holy Spirit, that you are the prayer and that you would teach us to pray and that you would show us the way once again that we might have moment by moment intimate communion with the Father that we long to be in connection with. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.